That's in the air. This could be out. Thomas underneath it. Will he catch it? He's got good hands. He's got him. Yes, he has. Thomas got him in the deep. Having fumbled all night, he's taken the big one. Welcome to Couch Talk. Today's guest is former Pakistan opener Mudas and Nazir. He talks about his fiery baptism to test cricket against the Aussies, deriving inspiration from his father Nazir Muhammad, his admiration for Sunil Gavaskar, the greatest Pakistani 11 of all time, development of the game in Pakistan in the absence of international cricket, amongst other things. Welcome to the show, Mudasar Bhai. Thank you. Uh, it's my pleasure having you on. Um, I want to talk a bit about your playing career and then your coaching career and now your time with the Global Cricket Academy with ICC here in Dubai. Uh, first of all, you know, your father, Nazar Mohammed, was the first batsman to score a century for Pakistan. You followed in his footsteps to become an opening batsman for Pakistan. Were there expectations of you to uh, choose and excel in cricket at a very young age? Well, I don't know whether the expectation public maybe expected it. My father was pretty uh, mild about the whole thing. He, although when I look back, he did bring me up uh, a little differently compared to the rest of the family. Um, he must have seen at early age my interest, uh, my passion about the game. Mm-hmm. So I was given the freedom to play cricket at all hours, whereas the rest of the family, my other two brothers, they didn't have that kind of uh, uh, free hand. Uh, mm-hmm. They had to stay at home, stay indoors when it was hot, it was cold, whereas I was allowed to go and uh, play cricket at all hours. Mm. Um, expectation? I, I, I never looked at, you know, when people talk about the burden, I never looked at it uh, that way. I never felt that it was a burden. Mm. I just wanted, I was so madly in love with the game and, I, and madly in love with my dad. That I just wanted to like him. I just, and this is where the opening stuff comes from the opener. Mm-hmm. The first ball of uh, the day, first ball of the innings. That, that all came from just following my dad's footsteps. And he had given up cricket uh, well before I was born. So it's just that, you know. I just wanted to be like him. Oh, right. Uh, and you had mentioned, I read that in an interview, you had mentioned that you knew that you would play test cricket for Pakistan when, by the time you were 10 years old. I mean, how do you explain that sort of thing? That you know, you it, would... it just that maybe it, it, I was so passionate that there was nothing else mattered. I had to become a cricketer. I had to become a test cricketer. And, and because I was so single-minded, it, it wasn't said in the context that I was so good that I was but destined to be a test cricketer. No, it wasn't. It, I didn't want it to, to sign up, sound like that. But there was, there was never going to be in my life. I was never going to fall short of that. That was my whole uh, ambition that I have to become a test cricketer. I will be a test cricketer one day. Mm-hmm. My existence uh, was all driven towards uh, being a test cricketer. And it was only when once I became a test cricketer that all of a sudden, I found myself in a hole and thought, what now? Because now that I've become a test cricketer, what happened there? And that's when, you know, I started, many people maybe carve up their career right along the lines, I'll become a test cricketer, this is what it will be like. For me, it was when I became a test cricketer, then I realized this life after this, and and what what do I do now? (laughs) So I I, I went the other way. Hmm. 
I see. Yeah. And uh, your debut came against Australia in the 76-77 series. You know, you were facing Lillian Thompson in Australia. And you had mentioned that, you know, you didn't have the proper guidance into knowing what you should be doing when you're facing these bowlers in Australia. You know, so can you talk a bit about your debut? I can talk about that because <laughs> it's something I would never do to a youngster what happened on that tour. Uh, we'd been on a tour for, for well over three weeks and all I did was ball, at, ball in the nets hmm. at the senior players and all we did was and I wasn't the only one. There were a lot of youngsters on that tour. Uh, and historic tour because the youngsters who went on that tour remained with Pakistan for a very, very long time. So uh, from selection point of view, the selectors done their job. But when we went on tour, because of lack of bowlers, all we did was bowl, bowl, and bowl. Never got to bat. Mm-hmm. And we weren't uh, lucky enough to play in the early games either, so it just meant no, no batting. Mm-hmm. And just before the test match, on the eve of the test match, Sadiq, had, uh, who was a formidable opening batsman, mm-hmm. he, he went to hospital to get his uh, little finger x-rayed. And it, when he came back, it was quite dark. It was starting to get dark at the at a little hole in, in, in Australia where we were playing the match the next day. And he came back and, I, and announced that I can't play tomorrow because I've fractured my finger. So they, they started to scratch around, they started to look around, and Mustaq looked. And Imran, being Imran, even in those days, he was a junior member, said, oh, who's, going to who's going to open tomorrow? They looked around and said, yeah, bloody hell, who's going to open tomorrow? <laughs> and they looked at me and said, uh, Mustaq looked at me and said, pair up and go and practice in the net. I guess to leave off the new ball. And said, go and ball at uh, Madassar who uh, took me, and, and I knew Stephen Tuff for mine, from a very, very young days, because he used to practice next door to us mm-hmm. at Grayson Cricket Club when I was a youngster's cricket club. And sometimes he would be very kind enough to come and bowl at me. Uh, he, he, he must have been very, very tired towards the end of the, the day. He took the new ball, bowled three balls at me, which sailed well over my head. And I said, right, that's it, I've had enough. And that was my whole preparation for the test match. Yeah. Next day, I was facing Lillian Thompson. Of course, I had seen Lily Ball uh, a few times. You know, the clippings of him uh, came through in Pakistan on the news uh, videos when he brought the rest of the world out for 58. Uh, and then, when then Gary Sobers then subsequently finished up scoring 250 odd against him. So, but we, I knew he was one hell of a great fastballer and very, very quick. And uh, I'd always heard about um, Jeff Thompson, but I didn't know what I was in store for. So what was in store for me? Nobody told me how to face him, what to expect. And, but I was just over the moon elated that I was going to become a test player. And the hmm. leader went in and Martin faced the first ball and, and then he came in. And unfortunately, he used to be eight ball over in those days. Yeah. So he faced these ballers for eight balls, and this was an eternity. Dennis <laughs> came into ball and he bowled uh, eight balls. My took my cutting perform one of the balls and he drove uh, straight past me off for when we ran four. And in fact, we ran five, I think. And um, throughout that over, I just sat as the Dennis Lee was bowling with a tennis ball, able to pitch and go sail over my sack, who, who was very extremely embarrassed. And, and, 
very good at playing against baseball. And he would just stay there, and I'm watching the ball go sailing to Rod Marsh's hands, and he thought it was just like a tennis ball. And I didn't know, you know, the pitch was probably the blandest mm-hmm. pitch, you know, uh, <laughs> things were going to get tougher in the coming uh, matches. Yeah. And, and that was my baptism. And, and, and when I first placed my first ball in Test cricket, Jeff Thompson was born in, at the start of the year. I took leg guard, and, and when I stood up and surveyed the field, there was nobody in front of stumps. <laughs> Everybody was behind. Yeah, vacant area, acres <laughs> of it, just absolutely empty. Even the cover point was behind square. Sure, like it was just, it was just normally, you know, in front of that uh, mm-hmm. crease was standing behind the crease. But that's the kind of bounce you used to generate. The ball would go behind the square. So there was nobody, nobody in front, and that was the novel experience. <laughs> I can't say it was a frightening experience because I, I, I didn't know what fright was in those days because as a young man at 20, mm-hmm. I, I just wanted to be test I've become a test kicker, so it was fantastic. The first body ball at me, and it was probably, you know, right about my throat, a loser. And I got a batch of it, ball fell in front of me, there was nobody there, so we picked up one there. He got marked out on the very next ball. Hmm. But I, any ball, very, very quick, and every time I played a miss, I thought the ball was swinging a lot, and it wasn't, because the ball was going past my nose. <laughs> I, had no, I had absolutely no idea until I looked around and looked over my left shoulder, and I saw the Pakistani team manager. They, they just double laughed and laughed. They, they're just laughing at me. <laughs> what is this young man He's going on to the front foot to probably the fastest bowler ever. Mm-hmm. Crazy. But I, I survived. I survived. I survived an, an hour and a half, and then... Gary Gilmer replaced his dance I thought, he said, I'm going to sort him out. Mm-hmm. They came with all this ball. I said, you know, much less space. I went for a big, expensive drive and I got caught behind. And, 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 but I'd been there for an hour and a half. In the second innings, me and Margie put on about 60 odd runs and began about for two and a half hours. Mm. I got out to Lexington karaoke, which was a disappointment. But, <laughs> uh, uh, you know, that was my baptism, and, and I, I felt good, but he wasn't good enough to stay in the team because Sadiq Bahama was a window as well. Mm-hmm. Our main open batsman, he was a fantastic player, and he came back and scored a century in Melbourne. So the, I had to wait for for a year or so to get back into the team. I mean, but you you did go on to score, uh, you know, ten Test hundreds. But uh, yeah. the neat thing is that a lot of that came against you know your favorite opposition, India. Mm-hmm. You know, was there any additional motivation when facing India? Not that, no, no. Or, or was it no, the no. kind of bowling that you faced that uh, you felt comfortable? I think the, the main thing was that was mainly a front foot player, mm-hmm. and um, batting in subcontinent condition. You know, mm-hmm. and even though India had a great, uh, great bowler in in Kapil Dev, and my success and failures that came against him, mm-hmm. uh, uh, but. Somehow, you know, if you have a long career, you always find some uh, favorite team, Sunil Gavaskar, you know. Mm-hmm. I wish I was as good a player as Sunil Gavaskar, so that my record against West Indies would have been the same as uh, Sunil Gavaskar, but <laughs> it was, there was mm-hmm. you know, we were poles apart, he was such a great player, and I was just an ordinary player. Favorite team, it tend to get runs against them. Mm-hmm. But there's no doubt in my mind that, you know, I wasn't as technically equipped. Mm-hmm. Away from home, as I was at home. 
I see. I see. You know, you've carried back through your, through an innings like your father. You have played one of the um, the slowest innings for a century, and you've had some large partnerships, including that uh, 451 with Mianda. You know, what is it? What does it take to play such long innings? You know, again and again. I mean, you can see like there are sometimes players play a very long inning, but after that. You know, they go through a very low period because they've exhausted almost all their powers. But how did you do that? How did you break your innings into I small... I think because we were, we were lucky when we were being brought up. There was a lot of school cricket and college cricket. And, and it was used to be of three-day duration. Mm-hmm. So that gave us the time to build an innings and stay at the crease for a long time. And, and I feel pity for uh, the, today the youngsters coming through. A, they're having to adapt to three different formats of the game. Yeah. And sometimes they forget, you know... It, it, Demands of them a lot more uh, uh, difficult than than uh, they were uh, for us. We were given the time and leisure to prepare for innings and 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 enjoy the innings, and that made you stronger as well. And a, you knew the art of scoring. B, you were strong enough. I, I see a lot of the batsmen now when they get into the fifties start getting craps, yeah. which is rubbish. Because in order to play long innings, you need to be fitter. Correct. But getting crashed after 50 runs, and that's rubbish. But you look at the demands of cricket today, a cricketer, that's a, bit of, or a good cricketer, has to prepare himself for three different formats if he wants to make a name for himself. Otherwise, he's limited to just one format, mm-hmm. and that's the tight game. But we were lucky. So we were brought that way, and probably that's why we love to get still to the left cricket more than uh, any, mm-hmm. other, any other format, even though I'm a disciple of uh, all three games. I, I love watching all three games, and and, and, I, and I firmly believe there is room for all three formats in world of cricket. Hmm. Batting, you know, it's it's about partnerships. That's how we score runs. And you know, not every batsman can bat the same way. You know, for example, today in Australia's innings, you know, David Warner is going hammer and tongs while Chris Roger is, you know, playing in his own way, taking uh, you know at a strike rate of. 30, 35. You know, someone like Sehwag, people batting with Sehwag go at a much, much lower rate than he does. And what was it like for you, you know, because you were batting with the you most... Know, you you complement each other. Part of my, when I played uh, my first class cricket for Pakistan Airlines, I used to bat with Majin and Majin would go at the same pace as the rest of the first working players. And, and, and I was more sedate. And, and, but he made life very easy for me because he would attack the bowlers and all of a sudden three would open up and, and the bowlers start worrying about the line and length of mm-hmm. trying to stop the run flow and that way I was able to then assert myself and, and uh, Warner, Warner is so gifted, he's unbelievably gifted. The guy can play at the same pace in test cricket as well as in one day cricket and then 2020 and Sebag was the same. Yeah. Exceptional players. I mean Sebag doesn't come every day. People like Sebag are only born once a lifetime. So these kind of players, they are match winners for you. They, they score at such a rate. And these kind of players, you know, you, you got to get them out early. Otherwise, it doesn't matter about the ball is swinging. It doesn't matter if the ball is spinning. If they get going, you're done on that day. 
And you, as you said, you know, you played alongside Majid Khan and, uh, you know, you had Mohsin Khan as well, who, you know, yeah. people con consider to be an attractive batsman. How it is as a batsman from your point of view, you know, like not to get uh, suckered into how they are batting. You know, they can make batting look very easy. So, uh, what kind of discipline do you have as a non-striker? Not oh, you should have a, 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 an awful lot of confidence in your own ability mm -hmm. and your own game. You need to understand your own game. Mm -hmm. I need to understand the, the need of the team as well. So it, it, the partnership, it, it is a partnership. If both of you start having a go at and, and you're both good at it, that's fantastic for the team, but you don't always get that. Correct. There's always uh, somebody out there who, who's more sedate and who, who, who goes along the pitch, which is also helpful for the team. Most of the time, went or score runs, obviously a lot quicker than me. Mm -hmm. But it wasn't the runs he scored, the pace he scored at. It was actually his composure, I you admire. Hmm. From the, uh, at the other end, he used to be so competent. And that's what I used to admire. Not worried about getting out. I think the thing which I liked in my body was the fear of getting out. Hmm. And, 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 and that leads to your downfall or, or for you being timid, not, not going for your strokes. And I used to stand at the other end and just admire that with the guy putting his pads on just before going into bed. He was so calm. Of course, he's had butterflies. Of course, he doesn't worry about it. Of course. But he showed no emotion. He, he, he actually looks, he loved the challenge. And, and you've got to admire that in your partner. Mm. Okay. And also that you are different than him. Maybe the, some of the qualities I have, he doesn't have. So it's a partnership. It goes hand in hand. You played in an era of great fast bowlers, spinners, and also great batsmen. Uh, who is the best batsman, Pakistani or otherwise, that you really admired and enjoyed watching? Oh, very, very easy answer. I've never found anybody better than Sri Gavaskar. He was my hero. Even though you find it very hard to believe, especially in the early days when he mm -hmm. used to come into bat against us and I was his aggressive one. You know, young man who wanted to unsettle him, and but his composure, the time he had, and the amount of big scores he used to get, and nothing, he would be so unflinching. He, he, he was a nightmare, yet delightful to play against. Hmm. Yeah. I, I, I wanted to get him, I wanted to turn him back to the pavilion. Yes, I just wanted to carry on watching him hmm. because. See, it was out of this world when he when he came to, especially playing against fast bowlers. And then then against spin bowlers, I thought the greatest batting I ever witnessed against spin was by him in his last test inning that Bangalore against Pakistan. He yeah. was just a master batsman, and you know he, he was in in an era when when we had Jack Chappell as well as. Uh, Vipin Richards and Javed Mianda playing at the same time. Yeah. And these were great players. Ellen, Ellen Bowler, great players. There are one or two others I'm, I'm forgetting. And yet, none a better record like him against the Westerners, who was so dominant. Hmm. This is where Iran always uh, takes my admiration because there were a lot of all rounders, great all rounders, and on the day they would outdo each other. But against the best team in the world, Imran would stand for him and pick up wickets and he would score runs and every now and then he would match his against them. So these are the kind of people you look up to who stand up against the mighty 
opponents like Australians, West Indians, who were in the 70s and 80s. This need was easily takes my my vote. You had the knack of happy knack of uh, taking wickets, um, breaking crucial partnership both in tests and ODIs. Did you consider yourself as a batsman or more of an all-rounder? As a batsman, who bowled mm-hmm. and who was pretty confident when he came on to bowl. And I will sum up one thing what Ted Dexter said about And I was one day watching uh, the highlights and he was uh, commentating. And he said, you know, he looks innocuous and, and, and people think, yeah, he's all right. He's not that quick either. But just look at the length he's bowling. He doesn't. He, bowl, he, he bowls what the batsman doesn't like. Mm-hmm. So he's always asking questions. And that's exactly what my bowling was all about. Because I, I played against all of them in England. I played against them most of the time. You know, in, England, in league cricket. And then I would come across them every now and then. In Netflix Trophy Oh, internationally, I knew most of the batsmen mm-hmm. I played against. So I knew where to bowl at them. So it wasn't just have a turn, I would bowl a ball and then I would get a wicket and that would be it. Or oh, guys, come come on again, take a wicket again. No, there was a method to it. Hmm. I bowled limitation. Yes, you know, there was a role I had to play. I knew if I come if I come on to bowl, I've got to bowl five, six, seven overs. So that Imran, the likes of Imran, Safad, the team could be rested. But there were also also need for picking up wickets because there's no point in me coming on and then Imran coming back on to bowl at the same batsman. Mm-hmm. I see. Many many a times when when I broke a partnership, I've, I didn't even get the next next over because fine I'd, I'd taken a wicket, but there were bigger bowlers, better bowlers mm. in that innings. Then they would come. Straight back home and, and explore that and ball the other side out. And, and so I played my bit, my part in helping Pakistan to win many matches. And, and, and I'm happy, I'm delighted that I was able to do that. But, uh, you know, you played uh, your last test match when you were 33. You hmm. must have felt that you still had a lot to offer to Pakistan. Yes, but uh, the, the, the two things happened. Hmm. My, you know, I was living in England, my son was five years of age. So he started uh, school, he, he couldn't come on tour. Or, 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 and also, I couldn't go back to Pakistan and, and play four-day games. Mm-hmm. If, you, if you didn't play four-day games, you were never in the to play in the test matches. And the last couple of years of my my test cricket, I suffered from that because I wasn't playing enough cricket, uh, enough first-class cricket to keep me in the group. Second was, which was most crucial, that at that stage, I had taken on Pakistan cricket board. Unfortunately, I was the only only guy who was pushed in to uh, look, up, look after the contracts, negotiate the contracts. And that put me in a very precarious position with the cricket board. And in the end, I just thought, I, I don't need all of this. And I just walked away. And I remember not retiring. I remember just staying in England and thinking, no, no, I'm not going home. Okay. I want to talk about your coaching career. You know, you've been coach of Pakistan with the academy and then with Kenya, now with the global academy here in Dubai. How do you go about handling, you know, the big name players that invariably have bigger egos? You know, when you have a team 
with players like of great talent like Wasim Akram, Makar Yunus, Akhlein Mushtaq, all these Inzamam, all these guys. How, how do you go about doing the man management side of things? I think it's, it's very, very difficult when different players have uh, different players have different temperament. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, the coach has to be a very, coach has to be very, very good at man management. If you think the likes of uh, Alex Ferguson didn't have a problem, uh, at, <laughs> I remember Steve Bruce asking, um, actually asking a question to Alex Ferguson, why is it that, you know, we've got to turn up on time and, and wear all the gear you ask us to wear and Eric, Eric Cantran comes in his jeans and he starts training and, and he's allowed to do that. And Alex Ferguson answers, Steve, if you can do what you can do with the football, if you can do that with your feet, I'll let you do the same thing. So there are times when the likes of uh, Safrat Nawaz turn up in your team or you have the Shia Bakhtar in your team or in the Mamulat in the team who don't throw the line, who, who are not as energetic mm -hmm. and, and it becomes a challenge. And you can overcome that challenge within the dressing rooms. But when the cricket board management is not strong enough or media is too intrusive, mm -hmm. which is in the case of Pakistan. Because Pakistan has a system where, where you know, there's no elected bodies. Prime Minister appoints the, the chairman. Mm -hmm. And it, it's a long story. It, it's very, very difficult in Pakistan. As a coach, you're always looking over your shoulder. One bad result, you're out. Or one bad result, one section of press is going to absolutely vilify you. So from that aspect, I found it very, very challenging. Also, because of a part of the system, maybe to people who are not Pakistanis, it, it, it would seem very, very hard. But we put up with it, we just get on with it. The Pakistani teams of 70s, 80s, 90s and even 2000s, you know, just filled with great players. Great just, but, you know, the talent pipeline is, seems to be drying up uh, in Pakistan. And I'm assuming that the lack of international cricket, uh, must be, you know, another stumbling block in attracting newer talent to take up cricket in Pakistan. What do you think can be done to overcome that geopolitical reality within Pakistan? Look, there's, there's no running away from the fact that international cricket not having Pakistan has had a bad effect on the whole thing. If you look at what happened in apartheid area to South Africa, mm -hmm. they stopped playing cricket, they stopped getting sponsorship, they just stopped playing international cricket. They just kept on sustaining their cricket. They kept running the development programs in the whole of the month. They will join. And the rest of the country is playing league cricket. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, Pakistan is a poor country. Pakistan, you do not get many sponsors. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, some of the, the, the hierarchy in Pakistan, which has come and gone, has never been benevolent towards development of the game. And they, they think, if we look after the Pakistan national team, that'd be fine. We'll be, you know, Pakistan team produces results, good and bad will be judged on that. That is rubbish. You've got to keep the cycle going. Mm -hmm. you, you've got to keep your first class cricket going and keep improving it. You've got, nowadays, every country has an academy system. In Pakistan, we've, we've started academies and we've uh, stopped academies. We've started academies, stopped academies. We've broken that cycle about three or four times. Mm -hmm. And that is why you are struggling with the inflow of the youngsters coming in. Having said that, you know, Pakistan has more stock of fast bowlers than any other country in the world. We've just come back from Australia. And we're playing in South Australia, we're playing in Western Australia, in Australia. 
And I remember when we used to go to Western Australia, there would be burning quick bowlers playing for them. Mm-hmm. Four, five, six, and many waiting in the wings. I didn't see any of that. I didn't see any from South Australia. So when I see South Africa, and I see they're under 19 cricket, and, and, and the national team playing, and, and the A team, when I see India, when I see England, Pakistan is blessed with fast bowlers. Correct. And yet, people are talking about we're not getting anybody who, who's bowling quick. Yes, we don't have anybody who's bowling 155, 160 kilometers. There again, Shavatsa came, Vakajus came, one after the other. But that only happens you know, once in a decade. We've got bowlers who bowl in excess of 140, and there are about 10 of them. Mm-hmm. Nobody's got that in, in, anywhere in the world. And the left armors, the right armors, and they've all got different actions. All we need to do is work on them, start the system, take them back into the academy. We used to run 12 weeks intake. That's what Pakistan needs to do. Mm. We keep saying process security in Pakistan is not good, and I think we've got valid reasons for saying that. So that's all the more reason why we'll be getting all of these budding youngsters into the academy, training them, and then taking them on tours. If, if nobody is uh, in favor of coming to Pakistan, well, let's just take them out. The last time the Pakistan A team went on an international tour was when I was in charge of the game development. And that was six, seven years ago. Mm-hmm. So we've lost on a generation of players. So how, how, how do we cover up for that? Fortunately, fortunately, I'm saying that I've seen the Pakistan A team and I keep a uh, close tab on Pakistan under 19. There is still enough. There's a pool there you can work with. And then also carry on working down the line with the other 19, under 16 players, 16 players, so that Pakistan can survive and Pakistan can still produce good players. Our stock is not as great as the other countries when it comes to the overall. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, you know, you look in the batting, you look in the keeping, in, in, keeping spinners and all of that into account. We don't have 70, 80 players. Mm-hmm. But at the moment, we've got 30 players, easy 30 players, who are good enough to play for Pakistan and do well for Pakistan. Mm. So if we can develop them properly, if we can look after them, and then on, on top of that, start working on the development of the game in Pakistan and keep a cycle going, we will, will not be as badly off, hmm. well off as uh, at the moment. There is a question from a listener, um, that, and that is, which is the better Pakistan 11? The one that played in the 70s and 80s or the one that played in the 90s and 2000s? You know, the Vaseem Makar era versus your time. 90s Pakistan had, when Imran left, I had left before that, Javed was still around. Mm-hmm. Imran, that was the best ever team Pakistan has ever had. It had batting, it had bowling, and it had sheer talent as well. And they were on such a strong footing, and unfortunately, unfortunately, match-fixing uh, surface. And they became a fear of losing, because they thought, if we lose, people are going to blame us because of the match-fixing. And that's where Pakistan went down. Pakistan team of the 90s was as talented as Australian team. And, you, and, and I don't care. You had Shane Wong, you had Glenn Maga in that team. You had the War Brothers, you had uh, Lee, 
you know, Mark Taylor, Davy Boone, a lot of great players playing for them. But Pakistan were as good as that. It's just that fear of losing custom. To this day, you ask anybody, anybody, who would you, who would you not want to face in when you go into bat? And universal answer is Basima. If you have Basima coming in the team, you have Bakayurus in the team, you have Mushtaq Ahmed in the team, you've got three bowlers, then you have Sakle, then you have Shuaib then you have Azhar Mahmood and Razak as all-rounders. How can you lose a game? These are top players. People, you know, we, we choose to have just Imran and Ibi help her, Safraz and then Abdul Qadir. Then Basim came along. And by, at that stage, for, for, for a number of years, Imran was still very strong. I mean, Imran started to decline. And then all of a sudden, Bakaj, you know, stand up. So we, we didn't have a full team. We, we, we used to have four or five top players. And the rest of, them, rest of us used to just make up the numbers. Mm. These were very decent players. But the 90s had about seven or eight players, great players playing in the same team. Mm. That was Pakistan's best 11. Yet it produced so little. Result-wise, it's unbelievable. Mm. All right. Finally, uh, Mudipa, you know, you've been associated with the uh, ICC's Global Cricket Academy. Could you talk about a uh, little bit about your role here? Well, my role with, uh, at the moment is the head of the development. Uh, mm -hmm. we, the idea was fantastic. The ICC were going to look after the elite cricket of the world. That's how it started. And then because the economic uh, meltdown happened, you know, the, the, uh, the project didn't finish. By that time, we finished the academies and started to work. Uh, and we opened up, uh, as you see, IC Global Great Academy. Um, ICC High Performance Program had moved in different direction, and we were supposed to look after that uh, part of uh, ICC program. But we do, every now and then, the high performance program coming to us like what is happening in the next couple of weeks. We're going to run a full nation program at the academy. We do run independent uh, school programs. We do run independent academy programs where the expatriate kids come and, and, and they play cricket and we've got kids in abundance. So we've got about 700 kids and we've got all the age groups starting from three-year-old and above. So we've been able to, uh, we were fortunate over the years, we've been able to uh, create different age groups. And now, I think the United Arab Emirates is going to benefit uh, from this system quite a lot. And recently we signed a contract with uh, UAE Cricket. Mm -hmm. So we're going to look after the national team and hopefully the national under-19 team, as well as help them with the grassroots cricket. So it's, what we started to do uh, about 2009, 2000, it's coming to fruition now. Okay. And hopefully from now on, things will take a different uh, route and, and, and I can only see th good things for you cricket. Fantastic. Um, thank you so much uh, for your time and uh, all the best in the academy. Thank you.